Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Kids, you can see your Kids Church sign is up, so you can sneak off to Kids Church right now. And uh, just as that's happening, um, there's a verse in the Bible that says that that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so um, this morning, I want to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so um, we have Kristen Hepner, who is on staff team with us. And uh, she has served on the staff team for 10 years, and we want to just celebrate that milestone today. So Kristen, just come on up here. So you don't see Kristen up front very often, but she's often the voice on the end, end of the phone, and, and she serves us so, so well. And so we have grown to, to love and appreciate Kristen Uh, She's a valuable member of our staff team, and Kristen, uh, on behalf of the staff team and our church family, we just want to thank you for all your hard work and good service. Congratulations. Thank you. I think I surprised her. That is, that is very good. Okay, so welcome here, everyone. For those that don't know me, my name is Leighton Erickson, and I serve as the lead pastor here. And if you're our guest this morning, or you're here newer to Ebenezer, I just want to say welcome here. I hope that you find this is a place where God's Word is spoken and where people's lives are changed. I hope that you find this is a place where you can find friends and community that can help you grow in life. And if you missed it, uh, we had a a coffee time and cinnamon bun time prior to the service in the chapel, which is our Connection Center on Sunday mornings. And that's going to start up again, not until after Thanksgiving. They're going to run it every week. And so I want to encourage you to come early. We had the place packed out there. And it's more than just getting to know people and and meeting and knowing names. It's, It's actually being able to talk with people and hearing their stories and being able to come along and support with them and actually rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, because that's what it means to be a family together. Now, this morning, we're going to begin a a four-part, a new four-part sermon series I've entitled Return of the King. And although, as I thought about this, the the timing of this is peculiar, because for the first time in 70 years, uh, England has a new king. But but this has nothing to do with the British monarchy, okay, just so you know that. And when you read this title, some of you might think, oh, it has to do with the of the end times or the study of eschatology, and it has nothing to do with the study of end times. It's really uh, a series on the book of Joel and his call to return God to his rightful place in our lives as Lord and King. And I'm going to share more about this in, in a few minutes, but I also want you to know that from the outset that, that this series, this is a series that God has, has laid on my heart and been stirring within me for, for well over a year. Now, let me begin with just a, a few stories. Uh, last weekend, my wife and I made a trip down to the southeastern corner of our fine province to visit uh, our son. 
And I actually grew up in the southeast part of the province, and so uh, this trip brought back lots of positive memories. And one of the places I took my, my wife and my son to was Kenosha Lake Bible Camp. I think there's a picture of me back here. So how many people know the camp? So a, f- a few people. So um, this camp actually holds a very, very special place in my heart because back in 1981, when I was in grade 11, as a, as a typical apathetic high school boy, I went there for a fall retreat. Just like uh, our high school kids went on a fall retreat this weekend, and, and I don't know if you know this, but we had, I think, over 70 kids go on this retreat this weekend. It's really remarkable. Will and Ashton are doing a, just a, a fantastic job. Now, to be honest, my motivation for going on that retreat was the hope of meeting a cute girl, right? That's, that's typical guy, right? Uh, but thankfully, God had a much better and bigger plan for me. And during that weekend, the Holy Spirit captured my apathetic and rebellious teenage heart. And I rededicated my life to the Lord and put Jesus in his rightful place as the Lord and King of my life. And as I drove in the camp, and we we made a kind of a U-turn there, I drove past the the chapel, which is still standing, the very place where I made that decision. And I was reminded of that moment, how it completely and forever changed the directory of my life. Now, I have a question for you. Have any one of you, and and just show your hands here, have you ever had a moment like that where God opened your eyes to your sinful ways and you saw clearly your apathetic and rebellious heart and you returned to him? I just want to see hands. Okay, now just just take a look at this. So I want you to notice that that this is not not uncommon for this to happen um, because God actually wants us to know him fully and he wants us to love him wholly. And he wants us to, to follow him with, with all our strength and all our heart. But I want you to know that not only does God do this and on a personal level, there are times when God has stern, stirred in the hearts of entire communities and actually entire nations. And this past week, I, I took some time to read of some of the great spiritual awakenings that happened in Europe and North America. And one of those began, I don't know if you know this, one of those began right here at Ebenezer Baptist Church. We were in a different location back then. I think I have the, this is the building we are in. It's a different name on the church now. And happened back in 1971. And it's actually known as the Canadian Prairie Revival. And it swept across Canada. Now, its, it's beginnings were modest. God, had, God began to stir in the heart of the uh, Ebenezer's pastor at that time. His name was Bill McLeod. And he, in turn, challenged his deacon board to gather for a time of prayer on Saturday nights at 9 p.m. And the impact was, was uh, immediate. After the very first night of prayer, the next Sunday morning, uh, the Spirit of God so powerfully showed up and moved in the congregation that, that many people that morning just felt compelled to stay and to pray together. And that began a movement of prayer. And in very short order, their Wednesday night prayer meetings, which you know how well those are usually attended, uh, grew to be the most exciting and fruitful and well-attended service of, of the church. Their Sunday morning attendance at that time was 175, and their Sunday or Wednesday evening prayer meetings eclipsed that. Next thing they did is they, they asked Ralph and Lou Sutera, who were well-known evangelists and twins, by the way, uh, they invited them to Saskatoon for 10 days of meetings. And on that first night of the meeting, 150 people showed up, and five people responded to the God's gift of salvation. But within three nights, the old Ebenezer building, a church on Taylor Street, was filled to capacity. And over the next, uh, over the next week, they moved to three different locations to accommodate the crowds. 
One was the 600-seat uh, Anglican church. Then that filled up, and then they went to University Alliance Church, which held 1,600 people, the largest church in the city. And then that filled up, and then they went to the 2,400-seat Centennial Auditorium, we know now was TCU Place, where they held two services every night to accommodate the crowds. That 10-day crusade lasted seven weeks. And during that time, many amazing things happened. Literally thousands of people invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior and King of their life. People spontaneously began to confess their sins to one another. In fact, there was, there was a newspaper report that, where the Saskatoon police reported that crowds of people were showing up at the police station just to report their, the crimes they committed. People experienced miraculous answers to prayer. And, and the spiritual landscape of the entire city completely shifted. Now, you would be interested to know that 50% of the people that, that turned their hearts to, to God were, were young people. And that began to change the atmosphere of the local high schools and the universities as well. During that season, enrollment in Bible colleges skyrocketed, skyrocketed, and many young people committed their lives to God's service to become pastors and missionaries. One pastor who you might have heard his name, his name is Henry Blackaby. He was pastor in Saskatoon at that time. And he said of this, of this movement that the, the entire DNA of my life has been changed during the revival. And today his ministry has touched literally millions of people around the world through his book called Experiencing God. And if you're part of our church family, you know that about maybe a month ago, Pastor Shadi from our Arab church said that that book, translated into the Arab language, was instrumental in his life and development. Of course, there have been many other great spiritual awakenings throughout modern history. One of, that is well known is still regarded as the most extensive global spiritual awakening in the church age. It's called the Welsh Revival, which, by the way, was also birthed out of a movement of prayer. In 1904, under the preaching of a, of a, of a I'm going to say man, but he was actually just a young person named Evan Roberts, 25 years old, uh, in Bible school at the time. And it spread across Europe and Africa and North America. And he went to a church, to his home church, and said to his pastor, I think I have something to say. And the pastor did not want to give him the pulpit on a Sunday morning, so one evening after a prayer meeting, he says, um, brother, brother Evan has something to share with you. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> and uh, this is what he said to them. And I quote, I have a message for you from God. You must confess any known sin to God and put any wrongs right. You must put away any sinful habit. You must obey the Spirit promptly, and you must confess your faith in Christ publicly. The Spirit of God um, took that simple message and embedded it in the hearts of people. And within two years, 100,000 converts were added to the Welsh church. So real was the transformation in their, their lives that judges were, were presented with white gloves because they had no cases to try. And local governments had special meetings to discuss what to do with police officers who are now unemployed. The Welsh Revival even impacted the economy. Taverns were closed down because no one was buying booze anymore. Coal mine work had also slowed down because apparently so many coal miners had been converted and stopped using their foul language that the horses that pulled the carts didn't understand them any longer. <laughs> it's a true story. 
More than five million came to Christ as that revival spread throughout the world. And as part of that same outpouring of the Spirit, revival came across the ocean to the United States, to a little church on Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And out of this event was birthed the Pentecostal movement, which is the largest and I think the most fruitful ministry in all of North America even today. Now during these outpourings of God's Spirit, people from all walks of life sense the presence of God powerfully which led them to a, a deep conviction and new understanding of their spiritual condition before God and led them to repentance and prayer. And many, many people during those times had a new hunger for God's word and returned to God to make him the Lord and King of their lives. Now, of course, um, there are numerous stories of spiritual awakening and renewal in the pages of scripture as well. In the Old Testament, there are stories of revival throughout the book of Judges, which is really God appointing someone to come and to be a judge over the land and to bring the people back to him. There's revivals under godly kings like Josiah, which we spoke about not too long ago here at this church. There's revival under prophets like Elijah and Haggai and Zechariah. There's revival under spiritual leaders like Samuel and Ezra. And under missionaries sent by God like Jonah, who went to Nineveh and a whole pagan nation turn their hearts towards God. In the New Testament, we see great movements of spiritual awakening and renewal. On the day of Pentecost, God poured out a spirit upon the people. And on that day, 3,000 people had their eyes open to the spiritual reality of who Jesus Christ was and, and became followers of him. And then, of course, during the missionary journeys of Paul and Philip and Peter, and I could go on. These are just a small sampling of God's powerful spirit at work in the hearts of the world. And each and every story, each and every story proves God loves us and proves that God longs to be gracious and merciful to his creation and is faithful to his amazing and wonderful promise in the scripture where he said, return to me and I will return to you. Now, if you were to take time to read all the revivals recorded in the scriptures and study all the spiritual awakenings throughout church history, you would actually discover that they have some things in common. Now, these are some resources I got from a book called Revival Fire by Jeff Waugh, and, and this is what he says there. He, he identifies uh, nine things. I only brought eight things with me here, but so the common things is they occurred in times of moral darkness and national depression. Now, let me, let me just put pause right here. And I've talked about a revival in 1971, 1906, the Old Testament. And I want you to, to um, speed up now to 2022. And is there moral darkness in our nation today? Yes, there is. Is there hardship and hurt and national depression, and all these things. Yes, there is. Each began in the heart of a consecrated servant of God who be became the energizing power behind it. In other words, it, it just took someone to, to, to be a spark for, for, the, for the revival, for the spiritual awakening. And, and by the way, Spiritual awakenings, true spiritual awakenings are never the work of man. 
They're always the work of the Spirit. And the Spirit will come and do what He wants to, the way He wants to, in people's hearts. So even as I speak today, I'm not trying to recreate something that happened in 1971. If God does what He did in 1971, that's probably not... Or if, if what happens in 1971 happens today, it's probably not going to be <laughs> the work of God. I think you'd want to do something different in this age. Each revival rested on the Word of God. And most were the result of proclaiming God's word with power. In each revival, there was a repenting and turning away from, this, from the sinfulness that they had in their lives. In every revival, the people returned to obeying and following the word of God and the ways of God. All revivals resulted in the return to vibrant, authentic, lively, clap your hands, raise your hands, fully engaged worship all resulted in great joy and gladness because of the restoration they experienced. You know, if, if, if you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord in your life, and we did a little snapshot poll three weeks ago, and there was about, I think, 30% of the people that responded that said that their faith was stagnant. So I might not be speaking to all of you, but I'm speaking to some of you. In each revival, interestingly, was followed by a season of God's blessing. Now, the reason I take the time to tell you about these revivals is because I want you to know that throughout human history, the powerful Spirit of God has stirred the hearts of people of all ages, from all nations and all spiritual backgrounds and every kind of spiritual condition, and has supernaturally turned people's hearts back to Him. And I just want to say that what God has done in the past, He can do again today. Let me say that again. What God has done in the past, He can do again today. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. Excuse me. Because there are moments when I look at the moral decline in our society and antagonism towards the Christian faith and even the spiritual apathy and sin within the church. And I, I wonder, like, God, will you stir the hearts of people again so we can come back to you? And I need to remind myself that spiritual renewal is not beyond God's capacity, that he can awaken a province he can awaken a spiritually dead nation. He can revive his church. He can revive and renew us as Ebenezer. And he can renew me and he can renew you. In fact, he actually wants to do that in our lives. He longs for all people to return to him and to make him the king and lord of our lives. And as I look at what's happening around, there has to be a turning point. We can't keep on going down a moral pathway that pulls us further and further away from God. There has to be a turning point. God has always called a remnant to represent Him. And over the last while, I've been praying along with the psalmist, will you not revive us again, that your people will rejoice in you? Revive us so we can call in your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord of heaven's armies. 
Now, this, this summer, um, just in my own personal Bible reading, so I'm just going through Bible in a year. That, that's what I'm doing. I found myself going through the, the major and minor prophets. And, and as I was reading these stories and the prophets, there were, there were several times where I just sensed the Spirit of God saying, Leighton, this message is for you. And Leighton, this, is, this message is a message for, for, the, for the people that you've, I've called you to shepherd. Now, for those not familiar with the Old Testament prophets, they were, they were essentially the preachers of their day. God appointed them to be spokespeople. And that they would deliver God's word and God's wisdom into the issues of that day. Which meant, at times, they would confront people for their sinful actions. On other occasions, they would tell people how to live for God in the, the world around them. And of course, other times, they would speak prophetic words of future. Sometimes those words were of reminding them of a future blessing that God had promised. Or sometimes they were words of a warning against a future judgment. And all these prophetic words help prove the message was from God and it needed to be taken seriously. Now, although each prophet had a specific message unique to their audience, there was, all, there was there's an ident identifiable theme to all their messages. And when God's people failed in an area, the prophets would point out their sinful practices and, and invite them or call them to return to God. Because first and foremost, uh, he wanted them to to live in faithful obedience to God and to the covenant he made with them. Second, he, they would pronounce coming judgment that would, that would come if God's people did not repent and return uh, from their sinful ways and rebellious actions. And then third, they always brought a message of hope to encourage those who obeyed because at the heart of God's message was the wonderful truth that God loves his people and he has a plan for the future. And now, with that um, lengthy introduction, which I did very intentionally, we arrive at the book of Joel. Now, normally, I have the scriptures up on the screen. This morning, I do not. And you're going to be lost a bit if you don't follow along with me. So if you have your Bible, open them to Joel. If you're not sure where that is, look it up in the index, okay? Because it's, it's, it's kind of hidden in there. Uh, and if you have your device, pull it out and open it up to Joel chapter 1 because I'm not going to read the scriptures. I'm going to refer to them and you can kind of follow along with the verses and kind of get a sense of what's happening. Okay. Joel is known as the prophet of revival. And his, his book is really a template that I think lays out some of the core elements God uses universally to bring spiritual revival in this people. And I'm convinced that, that, this, that this book is for us in this season at Ebenezer. And I'm really looking forward to taking four weeks just to go through it. And it's going to be, it's not a head knowledge study. You're not going to walk away and go, oh, I never knew that about Joel. That's fantastic. It's going to be... Uh, how are you going to respond to what you're hearing? There's a big difference to that. So I'm convinced that it's for us, and I'm convinced that we desperately need to hear and respond to it. 
Now, the book of Joel, I chose it for a few reasons, but it's, it's, it's short so we can read it. Um, it's, it's really unique amongst the prophetical writings. Uh, Joel's did not give a clear date as to when he was writing. So uh, we're not really sure exactly what was happening in the context. That's the only prophet where we don't know what's happening. But he, it appears that it happened during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. So that's when, when the nation was returning from exile back to Jerusalem. That's, a, I think, when it was happening. Uh, unlike almost every other prophet, Joel does not accuse Israel of a specific sin. So it's open-ended, and that's good for us, right? You know, he's addressing our sinful hearts, not necessarily something that's specific. So that means, you know, your sin that you can apply to the, the letter of Joel's writings, or your sin, or your sin, or your sin. It, it doesn't matter. It's open-ended for us. However, he does tell them that a natural disaster that they are facing is, is the result of their sinful ways and that there's a future judgment coming if they don't repent. The other thing we know about Joel in his writings is he, he appears to be very well-versed in the Scriptures. So in his book, he, he quotes or alludes to the books of Isaiah, Amos, Zephaniah, Nahum, Obadiah, Ezekiel, Malachi, even the book of Exodus. And, and because he's so well-versed in Scripture, I think he is, he's actually able to, to look at the tragedies that, that is happen, happening in his day, and he's able to, to make sense of the tragedy in view of Scripture and in view of God's eyes and views. He remains hopeful in a very, very tragic time. So when everyone else is, is all down and woe is us, like he's had, he has a picture of a future day. And um, he's able to shepherd and guide the nation of Israel away from God's judgment and towards God's blessing. Now, this is important uh, to have God's perspective on our lives. Because when we, when we don't have God's perspective on the circumstances of our life, whether that is an illness or sickness or a breakdown or the circumstances around us, whether it's you know, uh, a death or a flood or a pandemic, like all these, sorry, all these different things, we're, we're at risk of responding poorly. So if we don't have God's perspective, we can, we can feel overwhelmed and discouraged by what's happening around us. And that actually silences our spiritual voice and it um, causes us to live in fear. Or sometimes the exact opposite happens. When we don't see God's unfolding plan around us, we react to it in a negative way. We become filled with anger and resentment, and we become antagonistic to those around us, and we begin to attack and lash out to others. Now again, let me just pause there for a second and say, were these two things not true over this last two years? Hiding in fear, uh, as the pressure around the church mounts, sitting in silence, or lashing out and attacking and being antagonistic. This is us. And what I love about Joel and the other prophets, that they, they never turned a blind eye to what was happening in the world around them. Rather, what they did is they, they would look at what was happening around them through the, through the lens of God and then encourage other people to do the same. Now, I'm going to show that you how, how this happens as we look at the verses in chapter 1. Again, if you have your Bible, you should have it open as we go. Uh, these, the, the opening verses, uh, which is verses 1 through 12, 
they, they really inform us very quickly of a disaster that, that hit the nation of Israel. And that disaster was this physical plague of locusts. An army of locusts ha had swarmed in the land, and they, they, they not only destroyed the crops, they devastated them. And then following that, that uh, event, there was a prolonged drought. And so there was just this devastation across the land and economic ruin, and people were in extreme hardship. It was, it was literally a, a plague of biblical proportion, like the eighth plague God levied on Egypt. And verse 2 tells us that the nothing like this had ever happened before. He even pulled the, the older man and says, have you ever seen anything like this? And he says, no, nothing like this has ever happened before. Yeah, it's bad. Verse 4 tells us about wave after wave of the attacking locusts. Verses 6 to 12, it goes on to talk about their devastation. The vineyards were destroyed, the fig trees, the olive trees, the date trees, the apple trees, the pomegranate trees, even stripped bare, including their, their bark. The grain fields were completely wiped out. It was, it was absolute total loss and devastation. Then we look at verses 5 to 12, and we begin to see the human response to the plague. It's interesting, in verse 5, he talks about the drunkards. He says, drunkards weep. I'm not sure why exactly he's, he's talking to the drunkards. Well, I, I actually do understand why. But, um, but that's interesting there. Uh, so he says, they began to weep because they had no wine. The nation grieved, and they mourned like a woman who had just lost her husband. Farmers were devastated by the loss of their harvest. The priests of the day lamented because they had no offering to present to the Lord. And if you go down to verse 20, you can even see even the cattle and sheep were crying in their field. It was a devastating time for the nation, and no one was left untouched. And God commanded them to, to mourn and to lament and to weep and wail but not because of the physical devastation and the destruction that it caused, but to lament and mourn because of the spiritual reality of this event. So what was the cause of the plague? What was the spiritual reality? Well, we see that in these verses. You see, the people accepted it for what it was, a natural disaster in the form of a swarm of locusts. But Joel had a very different perspective on this disaster that came upon the land. And he saw the calamity through the eyes of God, and he recognized it for what it was, God's hand of discipline. Now, as I said earlier, Joel was well-versed in scriptures, and he knew the plague of locusts was one of the curses that God said would come upon his people if they abandoned the covenant he made with them way back in Deuteronomy. So this is God's fulfillment of the promise many, many hundreds of years later. And so the message to the people of Judah is that the problem they're facing is not a plague of locusts or a prolonged drought. It's actually a sin problem. And their real issue is their rebellion against God. And because of it, God is handing down his judgment just like he said he would. Now I want you just to, I want to pull out a few words so you just kind of get the flavor that's happening here, this spiritual awareness and awakening. Verses 2 to 4. He, every, every one of these verses start off with these, with these statements. So he says, like, hear, you men, listen. And he's saying we need to, to, to wake up to or to listen to uh, God's word and the people that are declaring God's word to make sense of things that are happening around us. Verses 5 to 7, he says, wake up to the drunkards. 
weep and wail. And again, he, he wasn't saying uh, weep because there's no more wine to drink. He was saying, wake up and understand that the reason there's no more wine to drink is because of your sinful ways. So have a spiritual awakening and turn back to him. Verses 8 to 12, we see words like lament and mourn and grieve and despair. You know, the, the people, the farmers and, and the, the priests, this was a time for them just to, to, to be broken by all that was happening around them. And I, I ask you the same question. As you look at the world around you, is there any sense of brokenness? Are you, are you mourning? Are you lamenting with what you're, you're seeing in the lives, in your life, in the lives of others? Verses 13 to 20, the phrasing is things like put on sackcloth, which is another way of saying, like, humble yourself and repent. Call a sacred assembly, which is another way of saying, come and pray and repent. Cry out to God. Another way of saying, repent. And maybe the prophet knew the verse of Scripture in, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their ways and seek my face, then I will heal their land. Verses 13 to 20. If you skim those, you can see God's desired response. You see, Joel reveals the solution to the problem the leadership was facing, and that was the need to repent. Because he knew that this invasion of locusts, as devastating as it was, was actually going to be a forerunner to a greater judgment at the hands of the Babylonian army. And Joel wanted to spare the people of Judah from this judgment. Verses 13 and 14, we, we see this call to repentance. And I've said some of these words. It says, put on, you, on, you, on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come before Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before God. You know, I, I actually um, love the order of the repentance here. First, God calls ministers to repent. Now, in, in this church, that's me. That's Pastor Kel. That's Pastor Chet. That's Pastor Grace. It's Pastor Wes. His list is longer than the rest of ours. <laughs> no, I'm just joking, Wes. I don't know if you realize this, but I'm part of a church renewal movement. And uh, they emphasized from the very first session that we had together in the coaching circle that church renewal will never happen unless it happens first in the hearts of its leaders. And I want you to know that, that, that I'm taking this seriously. And my prayer is not God change you. It's God change me. Reveal to me and to us as spiritual shepherds where we need to repent and where we need to return to you. And even earlier this year, as we kicked off the, the, our new year of ministry, I took our staff team, we did a study through Ezekiel chapter 33 and 34, which is really a charge to the shepherds. And we talked about it and we prayed it through. And we're going to spend more time in prayer and seeking God and saying, God, you need to open our eyes because we're blind to some of the things that that are happening. But second, it says in here that those who lead and minister are to call people, the people of God to repent as well. 
Uh, verse 14, declare the, a holy fast. Summon the elders and those who live in the land to the house of the Lord and cry out to the Lord. And so as I said before, in this series, you can expect us to invite you to humble yourselves and pray. And we're going to ask you to ask the Lord to reveal where you need to change and if there's sin in your life. Because this work, if it's going to, if God's going to renew us, it's, it's a work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God has to capture our hearts. Verses 15 to 18, Joel talks about the need for prayer. And in, in here, he actually introduces a theme that we're going to see recurring in, throughout the rest of the book. It's called the Day of the Lord. Now, because of time and because it's in next week's passage, Pastor Kell is going to deal with that a little bit more um, in detail. But, but let me just talk about the day of the Lord. We know that the day of the Lord, in a future sense, that God says that one day there's going to be the day of the Lord where there's going to be a reckoning. But beyond that one day, there are other days of the Lord in our lives. So for these people, the day of the Lord was the locusts. And if that didn't work, there's going to be another day of the Lord called the Babylonian army coming. So we know that the day of the Lord is, is past, present, and future. We can learn from the past, we can respond in the present, and we can understand the future. The day of the Lord is also both a day of salvation. So when the day of the Lord comes, his heart is that people would turn their hearts towards him. So it's a day of salvation like the revivals where people came to, back to him in, in masses. But it's also a day of judgment. And in that, in that future day of the Lord, when Jesus returns, we want to find ourselves on the side of God's love and grace and salvation, not on the side of God's wrath and judgment. Now, the final thing Joel does is he closes off this section. And again, this is, this is one part of many, and you're going to see some recurring themes here throughout. Repentance, I'm going to warn you, comes up, I think, two times. But Joel leads the people in prayer. And this is what he prays. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness and the flames have burned up all the trees of the fields. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have been dried up and fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. You see, Joel is, is leading the people in a time of prayer. But he's recognizing that what has happened is not just an unfortunate occurrence or a natural disaster. It's actually the judgment of God. Okay, let me wrap up here. Joel chapter 1. Sobering, isn't it? If you came here to be, boy, I can hardly wait, <laughs> encouraging sermon, I'm sorry about that. But it doesn't mean it's not important for us. Now, does God send natural calamities when nations refuse to obey him? The answer is yes. He clearly has done so in the past, and we can expect him to do it again in the present and in the future. So what he's saying, Layden, is every poor crop a judgment from the Lord. 
No. Is every war or earthquake or storm or illness or pandemic a judgment from the Lord? Maybe. Not everyone, unlikely, but are there some? Absolutely. But I think what, what Joel is trying to say to us in the word for us today is that we need to view the events of, in life through God's lens and his word and not just simply through our eyes alone. And we need to recognize that God longs for the people of God and actually all of humanity to walk in faithful obedience to his ways. And you and I are blessed. We're, we're blessed because we actually have the whole scripture we can read that talks about these wonderful movements of God, these little days of the Lord that can alert us to a future judgment, that can show us what God can do. And he has brought renewal and spiritual awakening in the darkest of times when we look at Scripture. And we're fortunate to have history books and the Internet where we can, you know, Google revivals and read these remarkable stories of revivals. It doesn't matter if it was 1904 or whenever it was. It's remarkable. And we are blessed to hear stories of spiritual trans transformation on a regular basis here at Ebenezer. We've had baptisms every week for the last few weeks, and hopefully we're going to have some more coming up here in the next little while. And so I, I say all this to you to say this. It's no secret what God can do. And what I want to say to you and remind you and declare to you is what he's done for others. He can do to you and to me. What God has done before, he can do again. Let's pray. O oh Lord, send your powerful spirit to move mightily amongst us. God, in your mercy, bring renewal in my life. God, in your mercy, bring renewal in our lives. God, in your mercy and power, bring renewal to the church so that we might turn to you and return you to the rightful place in our lives as Lord and King. God, by your mercy, would you renew this city and draw our hearts back to you? God, by your mercy and grace and power, would you renew this province and draw our hearts back to you? God, by your mercy and grace, may you move this nation back into alignment with you, that we would make you not just our Savior, but our King. And we submit this prayer with hope and humility, asking that you would do your good work in us. And then help us to obey the Spirit of God promptly and declare the goodness of God broadly. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.